Well, good morning. I was going I was going through my text messages Rodney was making fun of me for. I need to turn these off on this iPad. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you open our eyes and you open our ears to hear uh, this word that came from you. And as I analyzed this week, the importance of preaching, I've been, uh, I know I've only been preaching for a little bit of time, but in my study, I've been revitalized and that's a, that's good news. And that's only because of you. And I pray that if there's anybody that's here today that uh, doesn't have a relationship with you, that after they leave here today, they do. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So today we're talking about why do we preach? For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about why we do the things that we do. Why do we sing? Why do we testify? Why do we go? And today is why do we preach? So think for a minute what's going on in churches across the United States and across the world this morning, this Sunday morning. People are walking into the churches. Uh, we're, we're singing. Kids are singing. There's, uh, there's conversations happening. There's Bible study happening. And then we all sit down and we listen to a sinful man preach to a bunch of sinful people. And you think, why do we do that? That just seems weird because we have the Word of God that is perfect. It, it's God's Word. It's, it's perfect. It's without error. And we think, well, if that's the case, why do I need to come up here and give my opinions or, or, give, uh, or, or preach to you all? I'm a sinful man preaching to sinful people. And that uh, I really haven't thought much about it until this week. I probably have, but, but this week I've thought even more about it. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. There are some days where a tennis ball is sharper than I am, yet I get up here every Sunday and preach to you all. And uh, that's a, just a strange thing if we really, if we all just stop and think about that. So why is that? Well, we're going to get back to this question momentarily, but first I want to tell you about the week of study that I had. This week of study has been very productive. I had lunch with a world famous theologian this week. This man has been in gospel ministry for 50 years or more. This world-famous theologian has experience. He has grit. He has wisdom. This world-famous theologian ordered a salad, and I ordered fried pickles and a cheeseburger. Like I said, he had wisdom. This man's name is L.D. Campbell. L.D. and I had lunch this week, and we sat down together, and we just uh, enjoyed each other's presence and told stories, and he told me, much about his time at Bellevue, and he gave me a list of all the troublemakers. <laughs> I made that part up, but uh, he was a very loving guy. All the things that you all have told me about him are, are true, I'm sure. He's, he's, uh, he's just a normal guy, and, and he kind of, I don't know if this is, uh, this is prideful or what, I don't think so, but he just, he reminds me of me. I just feel like I'm a normal guy. He's a normal guy, I feel like we connected immediately and and it was really good so one quick lesson that i learned from ld is that he takes his preaching and his preparation very seriously i asked him about his methods and he pointed me to some authors and some pastors and uh, he brought to light a couple great preachers from christian history warren wearsby dl moody and john stott to name a few and john stott seemed to be ld's most cherished preacher 
Upon arriving back in my office after my lunch with LD, I scoured my bookshelves to see if I had any um, John Stott writings. He said, uh, LD said he wrote 60 books, I think he said. I didn't have one. But I did find a 100-page book called Meditations on Preaching by a man named Francis James Grimke. Now, I've heard Grimke's name before because he, there's a seminary that's, I think it's an online seminary, but it's, it's a seminary nonetheless uh, that's named Grimke Seminary. It's named after Francis Grimke. So Francis Grimke was a mixed-race man born to a slave owner and a slave in Charleston, South Carolina in 1850. He was willed the freedom at the time of his father's death, his father being the slave owner, and his father died when he was five years old. This would have been around the year of 1855, so you know Francis's childhood would have been a challenging one. Francis went on to pastor 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. for 50 years. I quickly discovered upon reading his meditations on preaching that Grimke would become a hero of the faith to me for a couple different reasons. One, the story that he was born uh, by a slave owner and a slave, and it, during the Civil War era, to be set free and to become a, a, a faithful pastor. That's reason number one. Grimke was 13 years old when the Emancipation Proclamation would have been signed by Abraham Lincoln, and th that whole story is just neat. Two, Grimke pastored, pastored for 50, 50 years at the same church, and that's a major task to accomplish. And remember last week, our future reading of uh, uh, Lively Stones, what did I give myself, 40 years? Maybe we up it to 50. <laughs> and number three, this is the real reason he's a hero of the faith to me, that that little book that he wrote, Meditations on Preaching, and they're just short little segments, like his, little, his journal entries about preaching and the importance of preaching, uh, this book slapped me in the face in a good way, more than anything I've read recently. So I want to read you all an excerpt uh, from Grimke. Why do we, and, and, and it answers the question, why do we show up every Sunday to listen to a sinful man preach a sermon to sinful people when we have the perfect word of God at our disposal? So let's let Grimke answer the question. The minister should aim in his public ministry to make each service a kind of mount of vision for the people. Those who come to worship should get such a glimpse of the truth, such views of life and duty, as the better to fit them to meet life's trials, difficulties, and perplexities. Peter and John went down from the, mountain of the Mount of Transfiguration with impressions that remained with them ever afterwards and that helped them in the experiences that were yet before them. What an opportunity the minister has under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help those who come up to the house of the Lord Sabbath after Sabbath. Every service should be a kind of mount of vision, a means of helping the people to see God and see things from the divine standpoint, and so be lifted to a higher plane, so be strengthened and fortified for the immediate task which may be before them. We ministers ought to bring to, the, to people Sabbath after Sabbath a message that will be helpful to them in one way or another, a message of instruction, of warning, of encouragement, of comfort, of inspiration. We ought never to be preaching in the air. We ought always to have something to say, to understand what that something is, why we ought to say it, why it is important that the people should hear it, and we should speak always in dependence upon the Holy Spirit to prepare the people to hear and to make the truth effectual. We are not to depend on, upon our eloquence or any trick of oratory. The only really saving power comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the preacher and in the hearts of the hearers. 
So that is a very concise answer of why we, sh why we do preach and why he did preach. And that was just his, one of his many meditations on, on preaching. So according to Grimke, preachers are to deliver a message to the congregation that, are, that instruct, that warn, that encourage, that comfort, that inspire, and maybe most importantly, messages that convict. And that's going to be my attempt this morning. So as we think about conviction, we are, we are sinful people. All of us in here are sinful people. Again, I'm a sinful man preaching to sinful men. If we aren't aware of our own personal sinfulness, our need for Christ and our understanding for Christ will be limited, or worse, our need for Christ and our desire for Christ will be non-existent. If I don't perceive myself as a sinful man, there is no need for Christ in my life. And that goes to you all too. If you all don't see that your overwhelming sinfulness, Jesus will make zero sense to you. So I want to I want to stand up here today and say, you all are sinful. Me too. Front row to the back, to the gathering place, to the children's ministry, to whoever's hiding in the bathroom. We are sinful. All of us are sinful. I am sinful. And my advice for this, it's very complex. Stop sinning. Jesus tells us to stop sinning. Go on and sin no more. I do not condemn you. Stop sinning. So we need to start fighting our sin. Jesus has already done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He accomplished this at the cross. But the saving grace of Jesus will mean absolutely nothing to us if we see ourselves as righteous without Jesus. So if you're sitting in your seat today and you're wondering why the things of God don't mean as much to you as you would prefer, most likely it's because you mean much more to yourself than God desires for you. I, will, I have that highlighted and I will read that one more time. If you are sitting in your seat today and you are wondering why the things of God don't mean as much to you as you would prefer, most likely it's because you mean much more to yourself than God desires for you. We should wake up every single morning and pray this simple prayer, God, I want less of myself and I want more of you. And he will answer that prayer. And the problem with him answering that prayer, if he gives you less of yourself and more of him, this sounds contradictory, but this process could be very painful initially because we are, we might suffer physical pain because of this, emotional pain because of this, and, and possibly even uh, physical, mental, and emotional pain because of this dying to ourself is what we're doing. Initially, it is not an, an enjoyable experience to die to yourself. To die to yourself means to spiritually and emotionally end the way you were living before, uh, to end the way you were living before, and to be made new by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you all, but that this is not a thing that comes very easy. Dying to myself daily is not an easy practice. I've been attempting to do it for seven years, and uh, it doesn't seem to get any easier. But the thing is, it gets, uh, I gain more understanding and it becomes a joyful experience as time goes on. So I, I want to stand here today and say it's worth the pain and it is worth the suffering to die to yourself. Now I want to tell a story. Excuse me, my nose is itching. All of this made me think, this dying to myself made me think uh, about my time at the YMCA. I go up to the YMCA and I work out and I see Mark and Elizabeth there and I always give them the Seinfeld, Seinfeld hello, and nobody gets that joke except for us, but uh, it's fun. 
But I go up to the, the YMCA and I work out, not very hard, but then I get in the sauna. And the sauna is 20 minutes of hell on earth, actually. But it's a good representation of dying to yourself. It's hot, it's difficult, it's sweaty, it's painful, it's emotional if you stay in there long enough. And as I sit in the sauna, my thoughts change. Uh, from the time I enter the sauna to the time I exit the sauna, my, my thoughts do uh, dramatic things. The longer I sit in there, the more confused and nervous I seem to get. I start to think, have I been in here too long? Is this good for me? What are the benefits of this? Why am I in here? I'm not a Thanksgiving turkey. I, I'm sitting in the oven, uh, you know, burning. These are all my thoughts that happen at the 10, around the 10 minute mark. I try to stay 20 minutes. I most often I can only do 15, but my goal is 20. At about the 15 minute mark, your breathing becomes labor, labored. Sweat is stinging your eyes and there's an embarrassing pool of yourself in the floor. It's at this point that my ridiculous thoughts stop and I just begin to focus on my survival. Okay, breathe in, Tink. Breathe out, Tink. Drink some water, Tink. Okay, these are my 15-minute thoughts. By minute 20, you look over and you notice there's another guy in there with you. And you think, well, how long has he been in here? <laughs> and then you think, does this guy think I'm crazy? And then, I, and then I look at him and I notice that he's talking. I said, what's he talking about? How long has he been talking? It's at minute 20 that your brain reconnects with your ears and you begin to hear the guy. He's talking about his ex-wife and his drinking problems. Then you realize you've been talking to him since minute five. and my iPad would get me lost at my punchline. So at minute 21, you look up and you say, all right, Dave, it was good to see you again. See you tomorrow. And you walk out of there and you slowly get up and you, and you try not to fall on the ground and you're confused. And, uh, but you open that little wooden door and the air temperature goes from 170 to 70 and it's immediate relief. And you think, oh my goodness, all of that was totally worth it. I am so glad. I chose to go sit in that hot box for 20 minutes today because I feel so much better than I did when I first got in there. It was confusing. I didn't understand why I was in there really, but I'm so glad I did it. So 20 minutes in a sauna. If you're not doing it now, do it. Now, how does that relate to what, I, what we're talking about today? There are 1,440 minutes in a day Suffering in the sauna for 20 minutes makes the other 1,420 minutes far greater, far more enjoyable, far more, uh, far more valuable than if, if you had not suffered at all. And our walk with Jesus is similar to this. When we step into that sauna, we are dying to ourselves. And what do I mean by that? Well, I could stay home and eat ice cream and watch Netflix, but there's no reward to those things because there's no suffering involved. And I'm not saying that a relationship with Jesus is full of suffering, but dying to ourself is the connection that is very, very difficult. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we must die to ourselves. So 20 minutes out of the 1,440 minutes reminds me of the length of eternity <clears throat> compared to the length of time uh, we live on earth. Pretend for just a minute that this sanctuary the size of this sanctuary represents eternity. So look, look at the floor, look at all the walls, look at the ceiling, look at all the space in here. How It might not be big uh, in our minds yet, but think about 
Think about this sanctuary represents eternity. Our lives on earth are nothing but a dust particle in this room compared to the size of eternity. And when we, when we begin to think about dying to ourselves from that perspective, it becomes much easier. Like, my life is just a speck of dust. It means virtually nothing in the grand scheme of things other than I must glorify God with everything that I do. And if I have to suffer on this, if I have to starve myself from myself for 85 years so that I can live with Jesus forever, then so be it. That is the greatest decision I could ever make. And that's, that's really the point I want to make in all, all of this, that dying to ourselves is hard. We all know what those things are that we, that we need to put down, uh, but we struggle with, and we think, I just don't know if I can do it. Think about the big picture. We are a dust particle in a huge space. Eternity is the huge space. Our life on earth is the tiny, not important part of all of this. It is important, and then we, need, we, need, we must make the decision to follow Jesus. But once we do that, we must commit to dying to ourselves daily. And that dying to ourselves is not just for the new believer. It's for all of us. It's an everyday thing. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 says, I'll give Josh a minute to hook that up. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So remember, who here today is a sinner? Every single person. Me, front row, back row, sound booth for sure. Uh, <laughs> bathroom, children's ministry, all of us were all sinful. Romans chapter 6 verses 5 through 11 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if you haven't made sense of anything yet today, <clears throat> open your eyes and open your ears for about three more minutes probably. If you desire a vibrant and lasting and eternal understanding of Jesus and who He is and what He has done and why it matters, step number one is this, a willingness to die to yourself, a willingness to open up that sauna door and sweat for a little while, a willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and make you aware of how sinful you are. We need to put down, all, put down our addictions, put down our anger, put down our anxiety, put down our lust, Put down all the sexual temptations of this awful culture that we live in. Put down the laziness, 
put down the impatience, put down the gossip, put down the vanity, put down the judgment, put down the pride, die to yourself, put on the righteousness that Jesus has made available to you at the cross. So the question of the day was, why do we show up every Sunday to listen to a sinful man preach a sinful sermon to sinful people? Not a sinful sermon. Let's back up. Why do we show up every Sunday to listen to a sinful man preach a sermon to sinful people when we have the perfect Word of God at our disposal? John Piper answers the question by saying this, We might imagine in our own heads that all the world needs are Bibles dropped from airplanes into people's lives. Well, we can imagine all we want, but God's plan is that people are saved through the preaching of the Bible, through the preaching of biblical truth, not just the reading of the Bible. The foolishness of preaching is appointed as one of the important means of saving sinners. So why do we preach? Because God has called us to do so, and His desire is for us to do it in a way that is helpful, impactful, and life-changing. We should die to ourselves every single day, and we should be reminded of our life change and our relationship with Jesus every day. And every single day we wake up, we have a choice to make. And, and that choice is, today I'm going to die to myself. God, I want less of myself, and I want more of you. And that is not... I could sit up here and pretend like that's an easy thing to do, and it is absolutely not an easy thing to do. But it is the command that is what we are to do. So God didn't say, I'm going to save you and everything is going to be perfect. He said, I'm going to save you. And if you follow me, you will live a minuscule amount of time on this wretched earth. And then you will live with me forever and ever. And that is why we follow him. So I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I pray that today has been a time of help and of encouragement and, and of camaraderie among us believers. And uh, I think we all understand that dying to ourselves is not a simple thing to do. And I, I hope that we all understand just how sinful we are because if we already see ourselves as, as righteous, we don't have any need for you. And that does not need to be our mindset. We need to be reminded of how sinful we are and we need to choose to fight sin and if, if that means that we need to uh, seek help from somebody else to fight that sin, then, then so be it. Uh, and it's actually, we should encourage that, that uh, we're choosing to walk hand in hand together as a church family to fight sin. We don't want to go on sinning. Uh, you, you saved us uh, from our sin, but that doesn't mean we go on sinning. That means that we, we attempt to be refined by you and your love. And I pray that if there's people here today that don't know you or want to want to learn more about you, that they come forward during this time of invitation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. I'm not finished yet. I still have an invitation statement. If you are here for the first time and you would like to die to yourself, or if you are here, <laughs> let me back up. If you are here today and it's never made any sense to you what it means to die to yourself and start to live for Jesus, because both things are 100% necessary for salvation, uh, we, we must, we must, Jesus came to earth so that we would follow him. And part of following him is to stop following our own desires. And if you're here today and you want to participate in this life with Christ, come forward and talk. This is a good life. It is not easy, 
It is painful at times. It is sometimes confusing, but God's intention is not for us to be confused. God's intention is for us to be in relationship with Him and to follow what He says in His Word. And, and it would be a great day that if one person here would just submit and commit to Jesus. Come forward if you need to.